My name is uh, Basil Favis, and um, I am an elder here at Westview Bible Church and also part of the preaching team. It's my honor to be here with you this morning. And I think the first thing I have to do is thank all the faithful who came out despite the Canada-Croatia game. So way to go, everyone, and go Team Canada, go. This morning I want to talk to you about something that I think is a preoccupation for all of us. Um, one of the questions that we ask often is, what is actually the posture that I am to take to the world that I live in? It kind of goes from a lot of extremes. In one case, you can have people who are saying, well, you know, we'll just create this little spiritual bubble, come here, be involved, and just be among ourselves, and, 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 and just, you know, separate in some ways, really, from the world that we live in. And there's others that kind of will go to the other extreme, and they'll throw up their hands and, you know, just get involved in whatever it is life has before us, and there's this sense of maybe even being just consumed, right, by this world that we live in. So what is the posture that a Christian is meant to take in this world? Timothy Keller says and has described this as something called a faithful presence. We are called to a faithful presence in this world. And the question is, what does a life of faithful presence look like? And how do we actually live this life of faithful presence? What we're going to be looking at today is John chapter 17, which is a chapter that is an entire prayer of Jesus. It is the most extensive prayer of Jesus in all of the scriptures. It is initially a prayer, as you're going to see in the scriptures that we're reading. It's initially a prayer of the Son to the Father. Then it's a prayer of Jesus to his disciples. And then it's a prayer, really, for the Christians who are to come through all of time. Well, some of you may say, well, okay, that's interesting. And in fact, if you look back a week ago, Evange actually spoke on part of this prayer, okay? And what Evange did is Evange spoke about the last part of this, and I'm going to be speaking about the first part of this. You know, it's a funny thing the way things happen in this world. Two weeks ago, I was meant to be the one who was speaking and to be up here before you, and, you know, if I was going to speak on the first part, and Evange was going to take the latter part, and... I was needed somewhere. I had to take a flight down to the States to be with my daughter, and um, people stepped in. Charlie, thank you for stepping in and, and taking that. And I sat down and had breakfast with Evange about this, and what we began to understand is that what the Lord put on our hearts actually made perfect sense that he speak about the last part and I speak about the first part after. For those of you who haven't already listened to what Evan shared last week, you need to listen to it. It is very powerful. And it is about how everything that we have in our relationship from God comes from a fountain of agape love. 
It is a fount of everything. It is the foundation of everything. Today, what I'm going to be talking to you about is the first part of that prayer to Jesus. And it is about where, in fact, does that agape love take us? It takes us into a life of faithful presence. And what does that faithful presence look like in this world? What does agape love actually look like? The first gift that we have from the Holy Spirit is the gift of agape love. And this agape love expresses the very life of Jesus in us through a faithful presence. So we're going to look at this by looking at John chapter 17. And I want to start right away with John chapter 17. I'm going to make a few comments as we go through. And then at the end, I have three particular characteristics of the faithful life that I would like to share with you that the Lord has really put on my heart and that are deeply embedded in the prayer of Jesus. So let's go right into it. John chapter 17, verses 1 to 19. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. And I'm going to stop right there. Father, the hour has come. Jesus starts this prayer with Father. You have to understand that at this time, and in this day and in this age, there was a Jewish refusal to actually even pronounce the name Yahweh. But Jesus had taught his disciples to use the word Father. The whole beginning of Jesus' prayer is an intimacy with God. It's relationship with God. It's a God that is approachable, an approachable God. And he uses this word, Father. Beautiful. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ. The word know in the Greek here that is used, the word that is used in association with know is ina. And ina has associated with it a sense not just of knowing, but it's a progressive knowing. It's a progressive knowing. What this means is that we are called into an intimate relationship with God the Father, and we, through Christ, are called to know him. And through our lives to progressively know him. This is actually what we're called to. It's why we're here. To know our God. It's not something that happens automatically at the time when we give our lives to Christ. Just like in the same way, if you join a swim club, you're not automatically a great swimmer. We start our walk, and we're called to a walk 
of knowing, knowing, of knowing God, knowing God, ina. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. By finishing the work you gave me to do. What is that? A faithful presence. Jesus is starting praying to the Father, and he himself is living a life of faithful presence. He knows that in then hours he will be betrayed. Within hours he will die. And all of this is converging together. Finishing the work a faithful presence that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So this prayer now goes out of space, out of time, the glory that he knew with the Father at the very beginning, and whatever that is, and outside of anything we can even imagine. This is actually a prayer, a conversation that is out of this world. And prayer is, for us also, a conversation that's out of this world. When we pray, we have one foot kind of in the material world and another foot actually in some otherworldly dimension. Out of our four dimensions, it's a meeting of the otherworldly spiritual and the physical world. This scripture and the prayer and what Jesus is praying is talking about there's a glory that went from the Son to the Father. Jesus has glorified his Father. And the Father is about to glorify the Son. I mean, it's amazing what's happening here. Do you feel this? That it is just, it's out of time and space. It's otherworldly. And there is, as you will see later in this prayer, a glory that goes from us to Jesus to the Father. This is, this prayer and, and commentary will tell you that this is actually a prayer about glory. This is a prayer about glory. And this is, again, one of these words that sometimes we use. But what do you even mean here? Glory, as it is used, and it is used in many, many different ways, if you look at this carefully in Scripture, but in this particular prayer, glory can be understood in the following ways. Glory is a revelation of the character and presence of God. Jesus in his life on earth was a revelation of the character and the presence of God. And as we partake in this life, Jesus was a perfect revelation and is God. We are called in our own imperfect way but we are still called to be a reflection of the character and presence of God in our lives. This is actually what it means to be a faithful presence. Knowing God in this progressive way, going into our world, giving glory to God, being a reflection of the character and presence of God. 
you almost can see that there is this dance between Jesus and God. I mean, if you read John chapter 17, I know that I remember reading John 17 many times initially and thinking, well, this is really like hard to understand. But unless you understand that it's almost otherworldly, it's out of this world. It is actually talking, and Jesus, in his conversation with his father, is talking about how he has given glory back to the father, how the father is about to be glorified with him, He's going back before all time. And what he's doing is he's actually talking to us about this dance. You know, the dance of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's actually this dance that's gone on through all of time. And as you'll see in this prayer, we're invited to join this dance. The scripture goes on, verse 6. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. There's three words that are used here in this part of the scripture. Obeyed, accepted, believed. We're not called into a cultural faith. We're not called into a faith that, well, because my parents were Christians, I'm going to be a Christian, and somehow I'm automatically a Christian. We're called into something where we, we actually choose. We're not forced we're not pushed down our throats. God is inviting us to make a choice. And the words here as Jesus is talking about his own disciples, obeyed, accepted, believed. This is part of the faithful presence for us as Christians. And what it means is that we choose. And we choose not only at the beginning to believe God, but we choose to know God as we continue to obey him, accept him as we go through the walk of the Christian life. And at some point, we can put those barriers down and say enough is enough. No, I'm not going to obey. No, I don't accept this. No, I don't believe. It's not a one-time thing. There are times we put that roadblock down in our lives. God is calling us to a life of obedience, acceptance, and belief to grow and to grow in this ina, this progressive knowledge of who God is. We're not just a cultural form of faith. So Italy, what you can see and what the prayer of Jesus is already telling us is that through an intimate relationship with our God, he's called Father, not far away, through Jesus, we are invited, not forced, to lives that are to know him and to know him progressively and to bring a glory to God, to be a reflection of his character and his presence. The scripture goes on. I pray for them. 
I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. And remember this, protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. He's praying for his disciples here. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Again, the word protect. They are not of the word, world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus' prayer, John chapter 17, verses 1 to 19. These scriptures that I've just read in Jesus' own words are telling us how we live a life of faithful presence, flowing out of the agape love of God that Evange beautifully shared with us last week, this beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit into our lives. We can talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, yes, and we will. The first gift of the Holy Spirit is the agape love of God in our lives, flowing out of the agape love of God, the faithful life is an expression of unity, protection, and truth. Three things. Jesus is talking about us being united with him, just as he is going to be united to the Father, and we are linked, and that we glorify. Everything is about unity, but we are called to be a people who understand unity, protection, and truth. So let's look at those. Unity, so that we may be one, so that they may be one as we are one. These are the very words of Jesus in that prayer. So that they may be one, speaking to his disciples, as we are one. What are we united in? A faithful presence means that we have to understand what we are united in. We are united in our desire for intimacy, relationship with God. We call him Father. We are united in our knowledge that Christ is our intercessor. 
that as we glorify the Lord Jesus, this glorifies the Father, and we're part now of this dance, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and we're called to join through the intercessory, through the intermediary, through the life and death of Jesus Christ for us, for our sins. We are united in our knowledge as Christ is intercessor. We are united in our, in, that we are to know God and to know him progressively through our lives and that this is actually, Jesus is talking about, this is actually what we're called to when we're united in that. And when we as a congregation come together and as we all together stand and speak and say the Nicene Creed together, which are the foundations of the faith, the deep core truths of the faith, we are united in that. Jesus' prayer is that we may be, they may be one as we are one. Unity, unity in this. But unity also means something else. Apart from core spiritual truths, these core spiritual truths, to truly be united as a church, for example, does not mean that we all have to think the same way. There is some kind and an idea sometimes that unity means, oh yeah, we all think the same way about things. In fact, unity is not that at all. Unity is taking a diverse people, thinking different ways about many different things, but that the core, the core, core spiritual truths of who God is, we hold as united. And they are so important that we know that we have more in common than anything that could possibly divide us. And in fact, as Christians, and even in our own churches, our desire should not be to have a church where everyone thinks the same way. To be united means, and I believe we are here at Westview, is that we encourage an open discussion. We listen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in this beautiful book that he's written about Christian community called Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, there is this great tendency amongst Christians that when the question comes up, we somehow always feel we have to come up with the answer. When actually what we're called and what can be more powerful is to actually listen. Are we called as people, if we are going to be called as united as a congregation of Christ here, we will be a people that listen and that listen to one another. To be united will also mean something else, that when we are bathed in the agape love of God, to be united means that we're also peacekeepers. And what that means also is that the loss of even one, the loss of even one is a heartbreak to us. It is a heartbreak to us as a church. Not one. We talk about the sheep and the 99, but the shepherd going for the one. This is what unity is about. 
it is a pain to see the loss of even one. In this prayer, Jesus calls and prays for the protection of his disciples. So that's unity. We are called to be a people that understands something about protection or care. The scripture goes, Holy Father, protect them with the power of your name. Harry Bulmeri's in this very important book on the Christian mind that is studied in, 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 in many, many different places. Harry Blamiris actually says that one of the marks of the Christian is a sense of an awareness of evil. A sense of and an awareness of evil. If we have a sense and an awareness of evil, we'll be called as people of God, to speak and to pray as Jesus prayed for us, we will be praying for those around us and in the world. We'll be praying prayers of protection and care. But this is sense of evil is sometimes misunderstood. Sometimes our sense of evil is motivated by our own fears or our desire to control a situation. That can actually lead us into trouble. Our sense of care and protection is again bathed in this agape love that Evans talked about last week. When we are bathed in the agape love of God, there is in the heart of the believer a desire for care in this world and protection that is actually otherworldly. The life of Christ in us generates a deep sense of love and care. I have an interesting story about this because I, I have no idea why this happened, but it started less than, less than 10 years ago. There was a whole bunch of things that were happening in our lives that, you know, really required prayer. And I don't know, I just found myself I don't know where this came from or how it worked, but it was just the circumstances, just praying for protection. I would have dreams and even spiritual dreams about this, praying prayers of protection. And I remember like even, even as an elder of the church and I was thinking to myself, well, you know, there's really powerful prayers, prayers of protection. Well, God's called me into that, but it's kind of, it felt like a little bit like a, uh, you know, the second tier kind of level of prayer, you know, okay, Basil, you're going to be a prayer warrior, but you're praying for this, these prayers of protection. As God called me into that, I realized, and even if you see this in Jesus' prayer himself, it is absolutely a critical prayer, a prayer that we're all called to. Prayers of protection, holding back, understanding that we live also you know, we battle against not just flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Seeing this, understanding this, not, not, creating, not creating a sense of evil out of our own desire to control or out of our own fears, but because of his deep love. You see people sinking around you. You're called into this. 
the Christian will have, you will in the life of Christ, the Holy Spirit will build in us this deep sense of love and care. Prayers of protection. And you know what? What I've found, God has turned me into a prayer warrior for prayers of protection. I had no idea, and I would have never probably have chosen that that would be the way God took me, but it's just his way. And I think it's something for all of us. What we find when we're prayers of protection is that God makes a way. Oftentimes not the way we thought he will make a way. And we pray that way through. And we hold back forces. And we pray and we step into the gap as prayer warriors, prayer for protection. This goes to our families. This goes to our church. This goes to the places where we spend most of our week. We are called to speak into these areas. Each of us, and this is why we're not doing this as individuals, all of these things are practiced at their zenith, whether it is unity, obviously. You can't be united if you're by yourself. Protection and care requires the body of Christ, all of us. And we all ourselves will also require each other's prayers of protection over our lives. God will develop in us a deep sense of the pain in this world and the courage to step in. For many of you, and having gone through the pandemic, we're living in some ways with an aftermath of a lot of pain and suffering. A lot of people, a lot of people over the pandemic have seen their lives turned where they are now caregivers. Caregivers, and you know who you are. There are many in this church silently being a faithful presence to God Caring, understanding that they are stepping into the gap and being a faithful presence. And oftentimes this faithful presence is kind of on the outskirts. It's not often something we see. It's not often something that we lift up. But it is seen by God. Amen? Your Lord sees you. Caregivers. Family-centered care. There's others, you know, you, you, you know you, there's pastoral care, there's evangelism, there's leadership. There are things that we see in this world that we are called to step into. And it's because you have this sense that's been placed on your heart. What has been placed on your heart could be different from mine. But we are there as a united congregation to support each other in this. We have people from this church that have gone into supporting and helping women who have been into sexual slavery. Poverty. There are people who are absolutely concerned about people on the autistic spectrum. There are people who have a heart for the LGBT community that are reaching out to this group, for mental health, homeless, community support. There are people who are thinkers, good thinkers, who are Christian. And they're saying, why have we abandoned the mind? This is actually going to be hurtful. And this sense of protection care, that's being a faithful presence. There are a thousand and one ways that we can do it. And you know who you are. There are many in this church. 
too many to name names. But this church, Westview, we have been a faithful presence. We will continue to be a faithful presence. And God is going to use us to step into the gap in Montreal, in the West Island, and in the world that we live in. The third in Jesus' prayer was the idea of truth. Unity, protection, and truth. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. This is what Jesus said. We're actually called in many parts of scripture, we're called to be people of truth. Your word is truth. Scripture, we're called, is true. We're called to know Scripture, to know the Word. If you desire the intimacy of God that Jesus is talking about here, Him as Father, Abba Father, we're preaching spiritual truth at the core. But to be a person of truth also means that we as individuals are meant to be trustworthy people. Can you be a person of truth, but not be a person that is known to be trustworthy? People of truth is going to be someone who is able to take correction. In fact, they will be some of the people most willing to take correction. The people who are most willing to come before you and ask for forgiveness are the people that God is going to use principally as being people of truth. We're all called to this. And there is another aspect of truth. And it is, as St. Augustine has said, there are spiritual truths, yes, but actually all truth is God's truth. You know, Scripture is God's words to us. Me as a scientist, in the research that I've done, I understand that I'm actually studying God's works. That there's also truth in this. All truth is God's truth. And those other truths in science, which are also God's truths, because God has given us the mind, is led to breakthroughs in mental health. It's led to breakthroughs in our understanding of things. It's led to breakthroughs of many aspects of health, of aspects of learning. It's affected our lives in ways that are too many dimension. And these are truths and these are gifts of God. But we have to also understand that you cannot just hold on to spiritual truths and somehow separate out all these other truths as if they're not the truths of God and believe that somehow you're going to have an impact on your world. All truth is God's truth. And that in fact, God is going to use it all to bring about his kingdom, all to bring about his kingdom. When we were talking about this at Westview at the Pub, at the group that we have once a month that is actually open to anyone who would like to join on Thursday night, we talked about what truth is. And I wanted to just thank that group for coming up with a bunch of different ideas. One of them is that they, some people were saying that truth, we often confuse opinions with truth and fact. Someone else was saying biases can block out our understanding of truth. 
Are we, under, are we ready to understand where our biases are? Are we ready to do the hard work? We're not called to be intellectually lazy and understand that what might be an opinion is not actually truth. Being people of truth is actually a community activity. Involves all of us. It's not one of us, each of us, sitting alone, figuring out our truth. You're not actually going to happen. And I'm going to give you a quick example of how this works in science. In science, a scientist like myself will do work, will do research, will have graduate students working with, they go in the lab, they come up, we'll publish papers, we'll go to conferences, we advance ideas. That idea goes out through publications and journals. It's studied by other laboratories. People try to understand and do and repeat this, and it goes out, and what comes out and what was unknown at one point becomes reproduced by the group, is, is, is done in many laboratories, and what was a deep unknown kind of said, well, we kind of understand this, and we come to something that's called a scientific consensus. Actually, in the area of material science that I work in, what I think alone doesn't matter very much. Doesn't actually make that much difference. It's what I've been able to contribute. It goes out into the group and that the consensus comes through a wide study of this. And truth actually is meant to be something that we operate in as a community. And also, you may not realize this, very high scientific consensus is about 95%. That's about as high as it ever gets. There's always going to be one or two who think in a different way. But we are actually called into truth, and it is a communal activity. So we have this interplay of unity, protection, and truth, and I'm going to just stop here. Our faith is practiced in community. But unity, protection, and truth, they come together. God has called us that we need to do and understand this deeply. It comes together. You can't be a church that understands unity if you're not also a church that understands something about truth. You can't be a church or a person that understands truth, but you don't care about protection and care and unity because you're taking that truth and you're just taking it like a bomb and throwing it into a group of people. God is calling us and Jesus in this prayer to unity, protection, and truth. And the three come together as an expression of the faithful presence of God. He is our God he has called us not out of this world, but into this world, into a life of faithful presence. Praise his name. Praise his name. We change our world by our faithful presence in many small ways. We give glory to God, and that glory is a reflection of his character and his presence within our world. And we change our world by our faithful presence in many small ways through an expression of unity, protection, and truth. I'm just going to finish with a poem. Um, as I shared this with Kathy, as I often do, uh, she had a poem about faithful presence. And this poem is for some of you who have been through very difficult times after the pandemic. And we want to hold you up and lift you. It's about faithful presence. 
As you stand and keep standing in the midst of adversity, you declare my power to the world. As you speak and keep speaking in the midst of difficulty, you proclaim my sovereignty to all. As you walk and keep walking in the midst of the impossible, you demonstrate my victory. As you comfort and keep comforting in the midst of enduring pain, you portray my love unfailing. As you shine and keep shining in the midst of deep suffering, you prove my faithfulness forever. Principalities and powers, forces of darkness, roaring lions seeking to devour, pause, take notice, and are held back. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, we have a, a busy Sunday today, uh, a couple baptisms, and so uh, uh, we actually don't have time for other than uh, just one question, and um, this is now the time to go and get your children, um, if, uh, if they're in the, the grades um, uh, K through 4, thank you. <laughs> I should know that by now. I have children in all of those grades. Um, so, uh, Basil, actually, I have a question to ask, and I think it's fitting for what, uh, what we're going to do after this. You uh, really spoke on some concepts, and, and you kind of answered this in the sermon, but I'd like to hear you reiterate it in some other ways, perhaps. Really, like, there is a, um, there can be a tension between unity and truth, two things that are very important and as you read, the prayer of Jesus was that we would be one and also that we would be sanctified, set apart in the truth. And you're absolutely correct that all truth is God's truth. But I think there is a specific truth that he is really call, calling us to unite around. Um, what would you say is the truth that unifies us? I mean, I think that <clears throat> the, the truths that unify us here as a diverse congregation are the deep core spiritual truths that we believe in. I think for me personally, when we stand and we read the Nicene Creed together, these represent to me the solid cores, core of the Christian. I mean, without this, you don't actually have the Christian faith. These things unite us, okay? But also, we are to be united in this there's truth and there's unity, but you know, we're united in this idea of protection and care. And I think that that is something that can take us into some of the other areas that sometimes are a little bit more, maybe require discussion. We need to look at these things and realize that we're meant to bring healing, not harm, into this world. A deep healing and restoration and that somehow that agape love also, as we go forward, I mean, 
it's entering, there's ways of doing this in, this in our culture, Charlie, that might not have ever been done before. Like we're called to bring love into this culture in new ways. So I think, it's, I think you really do have to take all three, including protect, but we are united principally by these core spiritual truths without any, this is what holds us together, right? Amen. And I think it's a, a beautiful truth because we're going to be doing some baptisms. And as we baptize, I ask questions. And you'll notice I don't ask questions about your opinion on vaccines. <laughs> I don't ask questions about your opinion on uh, this or that, the sort of things that can possibly divide us. Because those are not the truths that we are all together baptized into, all together united and submerged into one body.